of NBC Sports Edge's DFS Building Block Show. As always, I'm your host, John Daigle, joined by friend in life, Kyle Dvorak. And as you know, Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern, it's always an interactive show. It's a group chat effort. So while the chat gathers for the show, Kyle, I'm curious. Let's talk about process and results from last week to learn. Because remember, we can make mistakes. And if we make them again, that's ignorance. However, if we learn from them, that's education. So it's totally okay to get walloped over over the upside the head like I did last week. Yeah, I I have a few things. Uh, one, I'm trying to, and you do this, I know you do, and I need to do a better job at it, listening to other people's content, not not even just for the, the quote, answers, right? Like, I, I do enough, like, this is my full-time job. I'm coming through enough data that I feel like I have a comfortable grasp on, uh, on the projections of the slate. But to get a better idea of, like, some sneaky plays, like Odell Beckham, right, was like, oh, guys, he's... He's getting a lot of volume, and this game has a good total. Let's uh, everyone's like sneaky Odell Beckham play running back Justin Jefferson, and became a super popular play despite there being plenty of good receiver options in his range. He projected fine, but like I wasn't, I wasn't even really considering him in cash. He would have been like, I don't know, he wasn't egregious in cash, but he definitely wasn't really in play for me. But despite that, despite his projection just being good, not great, he came in pretty popular. So I think that's one thing. Another thing uh, that kind of just dovetails with that is just generally recognizing where, like, uh, this happened a few weeks ago. Saquon's first week back was super popular. Everyone's like, Saquon's back, baby. But, like, they weren't projected to score a ton of points. There were other comparable options in his range, and he became super chalky despite being a meh play. He was good, but there were other good – there's always other good plays for the most part. So just recognizing where the projections are telling me, like, yeah, this guy's a fine play at middling to low ownership, but if he's the chalk, there's no reason to play like a mediocre projection. So, and I think that dovetails with kind of uh, listening to more people's content and just getting a better feel of where people are going to go that they think other people aren't going to go, knowing our opponents better. I genuinely thought I had my ducks in a row. Maybe I still believe I did, uh, but I struggled to sleep on Sunday night because I middled every tournament, like was not even close. And it was because I went in on the game that I thought had the best tournament way to play it. And maybe that still was the case, even though Browns Vikings came in 30 points under its full total. Even playing Odell Beckham to the team, knowing he's going to get steamed and ended up at 40% and mid and high stakes. I played Nick Chubb, who got to 100 yards. 11 points at a, with a 5% running back is genuinely not bad. You can get away with that. Uh, 13 points, I believe, on DraftKings, especially in a week where we talked about Derrick Henry and what he takes away from the field. If you played him, for instance, on FanDuel, even on DraftKings, honestly, FanDuel, though he was 10-2, he's 10-4 this week. He got 24 points on FanDuel. I think he got 28 on DraftKings. That's not enough. That's not yep. enough for a 9K back. That's not enough for a 10-2 back. Whenever 11 of the running backs on that slate scored 20 points. And so genuinely, you could have played the other top players and caught up to Henry given the 4k or whatever you got off of just playing him. It also took away, maybe you made a mistake and like didn't get to play Tyreek Hill who was in most winning lineups because you played Derrick Henry. So it's just little things like that. I think we need to continue to learn from, but also, like I said, I struggled to sleep and because I had Tyreek Hill in, I never wanted to play Derrick Henry throughout the week. And I had what I thought was going to be good exposure to Browns and Vikings playing it correctly. And after the first drive, when the Vikings threw a touchdown to Justin Jefferson, who I had him stacked with Kirk Cousins, looked awesome to me. But then struggled to sleep, didn't get there. And I woke up the next morning and I looked at the results and I just remembered how finicky and stupid of a game DFS is. Because I saw the Millie Maker winner didn't have Tyreek Hill in his lineup. Yeah. I saw the $1,500 entry on DraftKings had naked Kirk Cousins. But because of the salary it took to relieve off of Mahomes and Josh Allen, sure. he got every other play right. And that's all he needed to do. Three man's games, three stacks. So three max lineups in the mid-stakes ranges. Naked Sam Darnold with Dalton Schultz and Ezekiel Elliott run back. All touchdown equity. You can't even do that nine times out of 10. It's a one out of 10 concept and the guy got it right and took it down. So just remember, you could have the process right, but this game is so tough now that you may be wrong and it's okay. Tell your kids and wives and husbands good night, and it's totally fine. You wake up and just grind again the next day. 
Yeah, man, that the the no Tyree kill thing. I, I actually you said it, and I uh, I saw that same type of lineup. I think uh, in other contests as well, the Kirk Cousins unstacked. Just the salary relief, the bad salary relief options. It didn't matter if you scored a ton of quarterback points or not because there were so many other places you wanted to score. And the Derrick Henry one is really good. Like Derrick Henry, last week you look at his results and you go like, oh yeah, that's a good that's a good outing. You know, Derrick Henry, he's 100 and some odd rushing yards. He, uh, you know, caught two passes. That's a lot for Derrick Henry. Uh, it's not. It is simply not. He, he has to, he is competing with Tyreek Hill every week. Not this week, but he's competing with Devontae Adams this week. You cannot, yeah. you cannot settle for, you know, 28 points. That is not even close to enough when the 5.5K running back, you know, uh, uh, it was um, Dave Montgomery last week who gets hurt and doesn't even finish the game. He could have absolutely annihilated you. And uh, instead he just really came close to scoring the same as Derrick Henry. But that type of running back, which we have a lot of good options to choose from this week, if he scores within like 10 of Derrick Henry. You need Derrick Henry to run laps around the field. If anyone scores within 10 of him, Derrick Henry not making the optimal lineup. So that's, a, I think, a really astute point to make as well. And that's what brings me to this week's main slate yeah. because it's a fun one. I always enjoy whenever we can afford to get a little wacky because on this slate, no DK, no Russ, no Stafford, no Cooper Cup, no Robert Woods contrarian jamming our lineups like the last four games. No Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, the best tight end in the league, Dawson Knox and Travis Kelsey. No Stephon Diggs or Lamar Jackson or Mark Andrews or Marquise Brown. So like, it's just a slate. You can do so much and have so many possibilities while also being correct because there's less ceiling players to attack. And so with that, I'm curious to get your, as we always start, decision point. As you've been building lineups throughout the week, what is the one conundrum you have run into every single time you've made a placeholder? Uh, I mean, I don't know if it's a conundrum because I have my answer to the decision point, but it's once again, it was last week. It will be this week. It will probably continue to be, although I think we'll get other running back options later, but it's Derek, it's Derek Henry. It is. Are you playing the guy who looks like he's going to get 30 carries and two catches, maybe two, two and a half catches. But I think it was a decision point that I came to quickly making a decision last week. It was probably a little harder even because you had no AJ Brown, which I think makes the decision. That's the, like the sticking point that I think makes it quite easy for me to find the leverage uh, last week without AJ Brown and Julio Jones. You're like, what are the, what other options does this core team have? And yeah, that mostly bore out, but it still didn't pay off at least to the extent that you would have liked it to. So to me, it is, especially with, no CMC. Dalvin Cook doesn't look likely. They haven't rolled him out yet, but like well, a, a whole week uh, of no practices doesn't seem like he'll go. Alvin Kamara being like dusted from a receiving perspective. He's still catching a decent amount of passes, but that's not what you want Alvin Kamara for. You don't want him for four or five catches. You want him for the game where he gets 14 targets. It almost feels like it's never going to happen. So if you you have one decision, if you want to pay up and it's Derrick Henry, but to me, I've, I've kind of made that. I feel like I've already made the decision. AJ Brown coming back, Sands Julio Jones feels like the ultimate leverage spot coming off of uh, not playing last week. I think there will still be injury concerns. He's a guy who always seems to have just like these lingering soft tissue stuff. And if he goes out, runs eight routes, you know, the Julio Jones classic goes out, runs eight routes, does nothing and leaves the game. That's just kind of an L I'm going to have to hold because AJ Brown is so like, he's the Derrick Henry of receivers. He can go out for 150 and two touchdowns off of not playing last week, soak up the entirety of the offense playing, you know, terrible, uh, terrible Jacksonville team. And it wouldn't surprise anyone because he's just that gifted of a player. So I'm fine taking what I think is a pretty big risk on AJ Brown because the payoff saying, you know, as the perfect leverage point off of Derrick Henry feels like it's so worth it. So I've been thinking about this a lot as well. And I think there are two sides of this argument. One, I wonder if the field is so smart that AJ Brown gets steamed by Sunday morning and that becomes the more popular play as the leverage, especially without Julio Jones. Seems like everyone's going to catch on that AJ Brown had a 22% target share in his first two games and the targets are very concentrated and have nowhere else to go. My other side of that argument is Last week, it didn't make sense, and it was went beyond the Jets game. We talked about how much I like the Jets. I played the Jets men defense. Um, they were 22% rostered in high stakes. Like It wasn't even a big deal. So many other people were on it, and that was the leverage yet off Derrick Henry. In this slate, if you do not play Derrick Henry, the ceiling players are far and few between, and that's where I keep coming back to with Henry. Like Last week, there was Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey. list goes on and on. This week, no Christian McCaffrey. I bet we don't see Dalvin Cook, and even if we do, he's not a player you want to roster anyways. 11 to 10 touches last week with Alexander Madison. Pretty much only Devontae Adams, Justin Jefferson, you can get on your in and on your lineup, even if you play Henry on both sides. And then Darren Waller with George Kittle out is the only tight end you're really trying to jam in. 
So again, I question where are we getting the ceiling at if we don't play Derrick Henry? So I'm almost at a position where I want to get contrarian around Derrick Henry and try to get to that 115, 120% lineup roster numbers that we should be looking at in our tournaments. That's really what you want your ownership level to be at to stay intelligently contrarian, not under 100%, not over because then you're just chalk anyways and you're holding the bag at the end of the day. So I don't know, unless you have a good idea like outside of Devontae Adams, because that's really all I'm seeing, I genuinely think like I have to play Derrick Henry in this slate. You've never had to play Derrick Henry. And I played, <laughs> coming from someone who played Derrick Henry last week, uh, and I think that was actually a leak, like especially looking at a lot of the, like the top, like uh, what I, who I think are the best, like 150 players. Obviously you're playing more of the, uh, you know, the high dollar, low entry numbers, single three max type of stuff. But looking at the top 150, uh, not the top 150 players, the top players playing 150 lineups, so many of them were under the field on Derrick Henry. And I think that was probably a leak in my game this week. I agree. You're not, uh, you don't gain a massive advantage by saying, well, if Patrick Mahomes drops five touchdowns and Derrick Henry scores 20 points, it, it's going to be impossible to get both of them. You're going to want to have that Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill stack. There's not as much of that, but I still think it, it's pretty clear to me that there's really good ceiling options by packing in four, six K plus wide receivers. And there are so many good, there are less good games, but I still think there are many good spots where teams with mid to high implied team totals and condensed offenses have the players that we want for ceiling outcomes. When you look at a team like the Bucs, they have three receivers that are not as condensed, but they only pass the football, right? They are a team that just does not care about establishing the run. And they obviously have, it's almost maybe, you know, Patrick Mahomes, but outside of that, it's really hard to argue that they don't have the best tandem of quarterback plus three receivers. And the only reason you can lump Patrick Mahomes in there is because sure, his third pass catcher is not that good, but he's Patrick freaking Mahomes. But this is a team that, I mean, has one of the best receiving trios like of all time. They have the best receiver of the 2010s, plus Mike Evans, one of the best age-adjusted producers through seven years of his career, and Chris Godwin. I think this is just a, like an obvious spot where at least one of these guys could go off, if not multiple of them. The Cowboys, if they, you know, please stop trying to run the football. I don't know if that's going to happen, but we have a relatively small sample of saying that is, and they've run pretty good on inner, or well, yeah, I was going to say turnovers, but really those, you know, Trevon Diggs interceptions, they're still giving up. Like, I think it's like the 30th or the, you know, the second most 30th worst yards per play. They're still a terrible team by defense, at least by yards per play. They've just run really good on stopping their opponents on turnovers, which we know are fluky. If they don't do that and the game actually shoots out, you're probably going to want at least one of, you know, CeeDee Lamb, Amari Cooper. So I think that's probably where I'll be finding my ceiling is jamming in a bunch of these uh, like six, seven K wide receivers. I also with Derrick Henry, I think the way to get contrarian is to either pay up at the second running back spot. As Joey Middleton says, with so many high priced injuries, even though Ezekiel Elliott has already said he's going to play him and Amari Cooper, you're not worried about. And if we see Elliott's roster percentages get mushed because people think he's actually questionable, then that's the leverage off of the pass catching group. We'll talk about that game in a bit. But I do really think that paying up at both running back spots is an amazing way to get intelligently contrarian, even if that means Henry and Barkley, Henry and Kamara, Henry and another guy I'll talk about in depth in a bit. But I'm doing that or I think Trevor Lawrence. I've come around on him more and more as the week has progressed. Everyone wants to play LaVisca Schnault. Everyone's talking about James Robinson. Marvin Jones is a great spot. Why don't we play Trevor Lawrence too? The Jets got shut out weeks two and three. They come back and score 23 points because the Titans don't have an NFL defense. We're not worried about them at all. Also, the past two games, Lawrence has had eight and six carries. He's showing us he also has a rushing floor all of a sudden. So in what is a tremendous spot that no one will be on, two defenses that are two of the worst in the entire league, maybe we do get some explosive back and forth. So I'm kind of coming around to a Lawrence stack and then having Henry as the run back as a way no one else will approach Henry. I actually really like that. I think that is, uh, I am both, I'm actually approaching the passing attacks on both sides, folks. I'm not, I don't plan on playing much Derrick Henry, but that included, I, especially Marvin Jones. I love that call because LaVisca Chenault seems to be getting, uh, you know, some steam. But Marvin Jones, like through four weeks, was clearly this team's not even, he wasn't the clear deep threat. He was just the guy, right? LaVisca Chenault was seeing a similar amount of targets, but had no air yards behind him. His air yards came up last week, but he's not in that Marvin Jones territory. Marvin Jones looks like the equivalent of almost like this team's Calvin Ridley, right? Whereas LaVisca Chenault is the uh, pumped up slot receiver. So 
I think, yes, the Trevor Lawrence stack in general, but especially with Marvin Jones, who going further down the field, it's just hard to argue that he doesn't have more upside. I get LaVisca Chenault is much more exciting in theory, but still, we saw last week, his 8A dot is nice, but Marvin Jones getting multiple deep shots, especially without DJ Chark, you have to imagine they just continue punting to, to Marvin Jones. Yeah, I think Marvin Jones is, Marvin Jones, AJ Brown is like my favorite leverage play at the slate. Lawrence also good because Trey Lance is definitely going to get steamed as the favorite cheap quarterback. And so like Lawrence is going to go so overlooked when it's an amazing spot as well. Also, you know, lap dances will probably degrade (laughs) that entire offense. We also have Permar mentioning James Robinson in the chat. I will say you want from a DFS perspective, Carlos Hyde to be active because then that will mush the numbers for James Robinson when it doesn't matter. Uh, James Robinson in weeks two and three out touched Carlos Hyde 35 to 10. And so, like, if everyone thinks Carlos Hyde matters just because James Robinson got all the touches last week, don't care. Like, James Robinson, the changing of the guard happened already before Carlos Hyde got that shoulder injury pregame last week. So, still like him a lot. Let's go ahead and move on, though, to Kyle, who you believe your highest rostered player or just intelligent contrarian flyer, a guy you're going to throw into in recreational tournaments. Since, you know, a lot of people play the $3, I still think the $9 slant on DraftKings is one of the the best payouts and best structures you can play if you're just playing for fun every week, but just someone you're going to play in large field entries. Yeah, uh, you know, I won't even throw AJ Brown because I already kind of belabored that point. But Aaron Jones, I mean, Aaron Jones has done nothing. Like, without Jamal Williams, it looks like so much more clear that Aaron Jones is the guy. I know AJ Dillon has had some like reasonably high carry games. When you look at the split of his carries, they actually predominantly come in the fourth quarter when the game is already closed out. You know how they close out? You know how they get to the point where they're closing out games by scoring a lot of touchdowns. And they have like two players who can functionally score touchdowns. Devontae Adams, the super chalky player of the slate, and Aaron Jones, who because people are paying up for Derrick Henry, probably goes relatively, I think, under own. So I think if you're paying up for running back and not going to Derrick Henry, Aaron Jones a little bit cheaper, about a thousand cheaper on DraftKings. But that is like the ideal spot because we have no no problem playing Devontae Adams as a high touchdown player on this team. Why can't we go there with Aaron Jones, especially if he gives me a, a different type of pay up roster for a running back at least? Aaron Jones also, like you said, terrific leverage. That's what we're always looking for, the leverage spot. I would argue that everyone should look in their lineups before kickoff every single Sunday and say, what is my leverage for that chalky piece? Leverage being the one player under 10% that you know is your response to the field rostering the higher player. In this case, it would be Aaron Jones off Devontae Adams. Since Aaron Jones, last week, everyone sees A.J. Dillon's numbers, but eight of Dillon's 15 carries, as I said in a good football show, our preview show midweek, iTunes, Spotify, shameless plug, that Aaron Jones actually outtouched Dillon 44 to 14 in weeks two and three, whereas last week, eight of Dillon's 15 carries came in the fourth quarter when the team nice. had a 27-10 lead. To me, I wrote in the waiver wire column as well, Dillon is still just a contingency player. So if we think this game is going to be competitive, and there is reason to believe this is going to be a slow-paced game since both teams operate at least through the first month of the year very slowly, then yeah, then maybe it's competitive anyhow, and it would be Aaron Jones as the answer. Having said that, I also think there's some pushback from the Bengals. I like the Bengals a lot. Uh, so much so that I kind of wonder if everyone's going to catch on by Sunday as well and Joe Burrow double stacks or at least Joe Burrow because they had run the ball at the league's ninth highest rate through the first three games. But then last week, up the ante to the second highest pass play rate in neutral game script. And if Joe Mixon is not available, he's going to practice on Saturday. We don't know right now, even though with three consecutive DMPs, I'm going to say he's out. If maybe they just pass the ball more anyhow because it's Samaj P. Ryan and Chris Evans has a 99% spark athlete score. Like he's a monster and he's the third down back. So maybe they just figure it best to pass the ball anyhow. And against this Packers defense that legitimately hasn't played an NFL quarterback yet, like I'm not scared of them at all. And that would force their tempo. So I do like Aaron Jones. I like the Bengals passing game a lot, even though I'm not sure where I've followed them just yet in terms of like maybe Burrow will be my highest roster quarterback. Maybe not. Still trying to figure it out. I also really like Robert Tanyan. And you can play Derrick Henry and Devontae Adams if you want to. I would not suggest playing or I would not suggest fading both, but I think you can get away with fading one. And the fact that no one's going to play Tanyan, and when we're looking at the onesie position with George Kittle eliminated, 
no Dawson Knox to pay down for. Everyone's probably going to get to Ricky Seals Jones or someone along that line. I think Tanyan comes in the middle after he had just two catches for eight yards last week. When we're just going for the touchdown equity anyways, and he doesn't have to match Kelsey or Kittle now. He only has Darren Waller. And with the touchdown after season highs and snaps, route rate and targets last week without MVS, I think he's a pretty awesome play as a leverage, honestly. Yeah, I want to go back to something you said about, like, uh, I, I think it comes down to knowing your opponents again. You said that A.J. Brown, uh, especially, I agree that A.J. Brown in, but I think it's only in the higher stakes, will really get to be, everyone's like, oh, he's the best leverage. He's the clear leverage of the slate. I think he is the clear leverage of the slate. There's one player on the Titans that I think isn't Derrick Henry and has the ability to score multiple touchdowns and go for 150 yards. It ain't Chester Rogers. It ain't Nick Westbrook-Akine. <laughs> it ain't Anthony Ferkser. It's obviously AJ Brown. I think in like the you know the the fifteen hundred level, right? I actually think you're you're spot on that it will get popular, but I don't think that really like you just don't have enough people. Even like, you don't have enough people that could explain the concept leverage in the three dollar twenty max in the Millie right. Maker in any of these uh, in any of these spots. So I think because of that, that's uh, you don't have to worry about like getting you know everyone sees my Galaxy Brain. No one even knows what Galaxy Brain means in those contests. So uh, in your in your instance, I actually do think there is at least a non-zero risk that AJ Brown comes in as like a top you know a top eight wide receiver in terms of popularity because everyone sees how obvious it is, and because of that, you also get not crazy popularity from Derrick Henry. I don't really think you get that from the Bengals that you talk about. I wonder if that's a team that gets steamed. I don't really think so. I think if anything, maybe that team could be like uh, the Vikings, right? Because they have one of the highest implied team totals, a very obvious like uh, condensed target tree, and they play a terrible deep against terrible defense. Their defense also isn't that good, anyways. So I think maybe that's the team you're looking for. I really like the uh, the Bengals call though, especially because we have seen exactly as you said, nothing but this kind of bland run first approach. But everything in this game signals that it would be not just like a, a return to average but a return to their previous normalcy, which was just fire away passing the football. No Joe Mix. I mean, I'm assuming no Joe Mix. He was called week to week at the beginning of the week, and what you said hasn't practiced all week, dude. Like, the guy, I, I'd be shocked if he's playing. Uh, they, get, they get T. Higgins back and their underdogs this week. Like, that is just such an obvious, not just return to league average, but complete blow-up spot for their passing volume. So I really like that. For me, am I like crazy? I just like, I just don't want to play Tyler Boyd. I'd rather play the dudes who are big and fast, uh, you know, in terms of Jamar Chase and T Higgins. I have no problem if you want to go to well, Boyd, on, though. On FanDuel, at least, I think the thing is Tyler Boyd is fairly cheaper, like 600 bucks cheaper okay. than T Higgins, which probably tells us he's going to be higher rostered. And so that means I'd rather pay up for the explosiveness of T Higgins. Yeah, but I, I think just overall, uh, the, the target tree is pretty much three guys. I, I mean, you can it throw three guys. guys. CJ Ozoma in there if you really wanted to. Why would you? I just, I, that, I would. That's what actually makes it easier if Higgins is out, not expecting to. I'm pretty sure he's going to play yeah. um, because it's a two man show then. We're not worried about Ozoma. It would just be Boyd and Chase we play. But three guys, one of them is going to get eliminated weekly um, beforehand. Like we saw all of them at one point. But the thing is, even when Chase was trying to eliminate it, that one week we had four targets, he still got a big touchdown because he's Jamar Chase. <laughs> so, like, I, I, either way, I'm still leaning on Chase as the comeback in a skinny stack, whether I play Adams, Aaron Jones, or Robert Tanyan. Not sure which one yet, but I genuinely think it got pretty awesome to play Robert Tanyan since we are just competing against nothing at tight end. Yeah, I agree, though. Tight end this week, you know, your only really option since Kittle is doubtful is Darren Waller. My, I, I guess I'd be like a little interested in Darren Waller because I think the popular spots to pay up for will be Devontae Adams and Derrick Henry. So he comes in out of the places you want to spend a lot of your money on as like a kind of a secondary, you know, an afterthought type of player. But I don't know it results in, in really that low ownership. Like, do you, I guess, what do you, my idea of what the popular roster construction is going to be is one of the quarterbacks from the Dallas New York Giants game plus Derrick Henry and two other cheap running backs. It looks so far like James Robinson and Leonard Fournette. Like the best part is I, I think James Robinson, very popular. Leonard Fournette seems to be popular. Both of those teams, we already talked about Robinson's team. I guess we already talked about both have passing attacks that we are absolutely comfortable. Just like not just taking pieces of, but stacking. So for me, I think so much of my leverage on this slate just comes from not playing the, the popular running backs because they have passing attacks that are like potentially hyper explosive, especially when you look like the Bucks. And Connor Nolan here, by the way, asks, how do you guys try to manage your exposure ownership across lineups whenever he's playing mid-sized tournaments with about 10 lineups per week? So single entry, two to three entry max. Again, I play mostly mid and high stakes single entry, and I love it because it forces the field to make decisions. And ultimately, like 
this goes for anyone in the public, like go to the bank or someone and talk to somebody. People are just really bad at making decisions. Everyone's so mm-hmm. scared about whatever happens, whether it be good yeah. or bad, which is why I love to force people to make decisions because I don't mind doing it right or wrong. But Kyle, like someone who plays a little more than one tournament, how do you usually set that? Because you obviously want to avoid the risk of ruin and not have 10 of 10 if you play 10 lineups, like a player in every single lineup. Yeah, I mean, it just depends on your risk tolerance, right? There's no like optimal strategy of like every player pool. If you're playing, you know, I usually play somewhere between like 50 and like 80 lineups a, a week, like individual different lineups. I have some of them duped across different different tournaments, not the same tournament, different tournaments. It just comes down to, to risk tolerance, right? Because like you said, if you are playing 1% of your bankroll on any given week, you won't, you'll play a hundred slates for you. If you lost every single dollar on every single slate, you play a hundred slates for you ever went, uh, went completely broke. Now, if you have $500 in your account and you're playing a hundred dollars every week across a few lineups, I would be trying very hard not to do many of those players. I'd be trying to do, if it was five lineups, I'd be doing five completely different stacks. So it just depends how much of your bankroll you're playing and how comfortable you are with, uh, the risk. If you think like, I'm very confident AJ Brown is a good play this week. I'm not confident that he'll go off, but knowing what we know about ownership right now, I feel that he is a good play. I'll probably be, you know, I'll probably have like 20, 30% AJ Brown when the field might have seven. So uh, especially the fields I'm playing in. If you are like, if you're playing 10, 20% of your bankroll, what you're comfortable with spending in a year on DFS, I wouldn't be playing that much AJ Brown. I'd feel much more comfortable spreading out between different, but still good leverage plays. And I hope that answers. That was like a well, not really. Also, it comes down to like always having bankroll management. And I understand yeah. that even the best of us get out of our way at times, go off the correct path. That's actually like the most common thing. Having come up like in the DFS streets and gone to so many professional DFS tournaments, not myself, actually just attending them with friends. I've never made the World Series, but I've been to so many and I've seen so many people fall out of the game completely. And it was literally because they just upped their stakes when they won a lot. They were smart players, but they just didn't understand bankroll management. That's all it was because all it takes is one injury. And then suddenly you have 90% of your bankroll on the line and you're broke again. It's not even your fault. You got the player right, but the player, just the injury happened because these things happen. So you just have to be very careful with that. I would say. Yeah. I guess I was saying like, if you're playing like 10, 20% of your bankroll in any given week, spread it out. I think the better answer is to not do that. The, the better, like, yeah, sure, if you right. want to play of your $500 a year, play 100 I mean, go for it. I can't stop you. I, I don't have any right to stop you. The thing is, you just shouldn't, right? You should just be playing a very small, if you're playing, like you said, you know, mid to large field tournaments, a few thousand entries, it, it literally could take you multiple years to win that. So you will have to fight through a lot of losing slates to win uh, what the um, the spy, right? The $100 yeah. It's like 5,000 some odd entries. I think the first one, then they open a few other spies, if I remember correctly. One out of 5,000 shut. You're going to spend forever trying to win that. So you need to have a large bankroll or you need to go down in stakes, which I think is not only what a lot of players should do because the risk of ruin is high when you're playing $100 spy and not winning it very often. It's not easy to win. Mm -hmm. I think you should just go down in stakes because it's a lower portion of your bankroll. And the lower stakes you go, the easier your opponents are going to be. It's just fact. Uh, Chad is also mentioning in the tight end spot, Jasicki and Dalton Schultz. Dalton Schultz going to be the going to be one of the highest rostered yeah. tight ends. Uh, not really interested in him in tournaments unless you're finding contrarian ways to build around him. And uh, if Devontae Parker game time decisions ruled out, Jasicki's going to be a cash game play. Like he's just going to get shoved into every lineup. So remember that also people react differently when the news is Sunday morning because then they're freaking out and are just looking to be trigger happy. They don't, they're not even thinking whether the decision's right or wrong. They're just looking to be active because they feel bad about doing nothing. Whenever yeah. nothing, majority of the time, is the right way to approach lineup. So just be very wary. So that news we're going to get on Sunday morning, it's going to make it react differently than if people had 48 hours to think about it, which is why Trey Lance is an interesting conversation. We'll get there in a bit. For me, though, my highest roster player, I'm kind of – I'm actually at a stand, so I don't have a hard take right now, so take this with a grain of salt. But right now, I did start the week with Alvin Kamara, and I understand what you were saying last week and earlier on the show whenever you said he doesn't have the ceiling-type performance, and that is a very good argument. But I would also say without Tony Jones, he's going to soak up every single touch when we couldn't say that before, even when he had a career-high 26 carries last week. So overall... Like, I think he actually is in a very good spot against a depleted Washington team to get every single touchdown. And even if that's, quote unquote, like just three touchdowns or whatever, that's something I want to combat the rest of the field, whether I play Derrick Henry or not. 
So just given the fact he's going to handle every touch and Washington has been very good against the run. That's like been their strength of their defense. But again, it's still Alvin Kamara. It's a talent I want to bet on. And he's definitely going to come in under roster since everyone's going to be on Derrick Henry and or all the underpriced options. So like he just falls neatly like Nick Chubb did last week in that overlooked section, which is why I really like him. Yeah, paying up for non-Derrick Henry running backs, I can really get on board with this week because it's like, like you said, I think people are going to either play all of the, like any of the mid-priced guys. I, I said Fournette, uh, Fournette, Robinson, Damian Williams probably falls in this category. Uh, I don't know, Chubba Hubbard, he didn't see all the passing game works. So maybe he doesn't, he didn't so, really do much of it. Let but me uh, generally, yeah, I like, I, I don't, I, I am so like not excited to play Alvin Kamara, which is a shocker because he's like one of the most exciting players in the NFL. But like, I do think maybe last week, especially this week, it's, it'd be kind of a leak to overlook Alvin Kamara. We know the field's going to do that, right? I really do think the field's going to overlook him. So, uh, yeah, I, it does feel like a gross play that, uh, again, how is Alvin Kamara gross? It's because this stupid offense isn't using them optimally. But, like, he's sort of – the way they're using him is almost just like discount Derrick Henry, right? He's averaging over 20 carries per game, and that was with Tony Jones, as you said, their favorites over Washington this week by two points, I believe. That's like all – the gets gets all the carries is a favorite is a really electric runner are all the things we say about Derrick Henry you can just get that with Dalvin Kamara for uh for pretty significant discount in terms of popularity so I, you're you're talking me into it you touched on Chuba Hubbard I like him a lot too uh not going to be one of my well I mean I could definitely get to a point where I have him in lineups I've been coming around to him the entire week because it's well known now that Rodney Smith out-targeted him five to two. Yeah. But also, what if they're in a position where they're not throwing the ball because they were in garbage time last week, trailing by two scores in the second half? What if they just run away from the Eagles, who are a bad team? Um, the defense, the offensive line, like Jalen Hurts is not the problem, but the rest of that team is the problem. And so if they just build a lead, Hurts has been good against the Blitz, Blitz this year, 27 to 47 for four touchdowns and no picks, but the Eagles still get pressure at the league's second highest rate. They still have a ton of athletic defensive players. And so with Sam Darnold getting five touchdowns, like we know that's not going to permanently be the case. Never. And so, like, what happens when Sam Darnold doesn't get the rushing touchdowns? What if it is Hubbard? And, like, he's the one who handled 81% of the team's running back carries. I don't even want, if I'm painting this game script, especially on a site like FanDuel where we're just looking for touchdown equity, I don't even need them to be, like, a negative game script and passing the ball. We're trying to get all the rushing scores. And so when everyone thinks that it's only Sam Darnold who had two rushing scores last week and five on the year, suddenly, of course, it could be Hubbard. So I like Hubbard a lot, too, because no one's going to play him even though he's the starting running back on one of the better offenses in the league. Yeah, I love this call. He doesn't, I think in my, in both of our scenarios, but especially what I'll continue to belabor the point is that you're okay giving up four or five targets to Rodney Smith if they go out and reach or like exceed their team total against an offense that is allowing, uh, or an offense against a defense that is allowing 150 rushing yards a game, 32nd yeah. in the NFL. They're, I believe they're also, if not the worst, one of the worst uh, EPA per play against the rush teams in the nfl they are uh the carolina panthers are three-point favorites at home like that those are all the things we tell ourselves that we want to play in terms of any running back but because chuba disappointed us last week we're gonna go away from him especially when he is in a price range that includes outside of derrick henry all the other popular backs like uh yeah i think that's a, a really intelligent call also again that's why i like where he fits in because it's easier on FanDuel knowing he doesn't have the pass catching role most likely, and you're looking sure. for touchdowns in there anyways. That's where he fits in better than DraftKings. But also he's like, he's not too much more, but he's like a thousand more than the guys who everyone is looking at. The Damian Williams, Smosh, P. Ryan, James Conner. And so like he's just perfectly above them. We're just everyone's gonna keep sliding to Derrick Henry and then slide all the way down to the cheap guys. No one's gonna look in Hubbard's range, which is why I think he's just in an awesome spot. What about the top fade? of the week for you i mean talked about it already uh you know when has ever when is not playing derrick henry ever financially cost someone a used kia sonata or whatever sorrento uh you know <laughs> i'm sure i'm sure it won't hurt me but i think the thing you talked about at the top of the show is really what gives me some semblance of confidence is that you know over the past four weeks he has one game over 30 DraftKings points and at his price you simply have to get that 30 plus game that other game, he may or may not have scored 50 points. That can, uh, you know, that can happen when Derrick Henry gets 30 plus carries or whatever. But to me, that feels like a, a 
pretty easy leverage spot and it allows me to play what I think are some of the more enticing game stacks. I, I can't imagine playing like a uh, CD Lamb, CD Lamb, Dalton Schultz, uh, and maybe Kenny Galladay, whatever, on the other side, plus Dak Prescott, and then still playing Derrick Henry. You just have already given up all of your leverage. You just can't make up enough leverage if you're playing in any reasonably sized tournament. So not playing Derrick Henry is probably how I'm going to build leverage. I certainly think it's not the only way, though. Right. And I still, yeah, I still think I'm going to come in. I don't know if I can fade him. I, I just think <laughs> I look around and I only see Devontae Adams. I'm not even scared of Darren Waller. I literally only see Devontae Adams, and I'm like, that's your answer for Derrick Henry. And that's when I just think, God, I don't know if I can do it, especially in a week that everyone pays down. Uh, do you have a preference or a way to rank Damian Williams, Samash P. Ryan, and James Conner? Because I, I've actually started leaning towards – I started the week thinking, okay, Damian Williams, obviously everyone's going to play. I think I think he gets lost to the shuffle. Yeah, no, I, I was thinking the same thing. Because really DraftKings, Samaj P. Ryan is 4K, stone men. Ooh. And like I'm still trying to decide how to play it because knowing he's not going to have the pass-catching role but lead the team in touches, does that really matter if he doesn't score a rushing touchdown? And like maybe we can get leverage on Jamar Ch- with Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow instead, especially if the field comes in overweight on Samaj P. Ryan. Um, but yeah, like you were about to say, I, I just think Damian Williams gets lost by everyone. Yeah, I, I super expected Damian Williams, who like throughout shockingly throughout his career, Damian Williams like never obviously never really much of a starter, kind of only in, inherited that role in his final few games in Kansas City. Essentially, it didn't matter. He had over twenty catches in every single one of his seasons. He was like a third stringer, like I would assume a kick return guy in Miami, and still got twenty catches. He's a guy who just cannot find ways to not catch passes, and we know he's a good runner. He averaged, I believe, fourteen carries in his final eight games with the Chiefs, and he was scoring touchdowns. Obviously, it's the Chiefs, but he was scoring touchdowns at a crazy clip. He's a three-down back. It's very obvious that he's a three-down back, and I'm really not concerned about Khalil Herbert, who didn't, like, have a good college season till his fifth year. He was, like, probably the oldest player on the field when he was playing. Of course he's going to have a breakout season when he's playing against guys who are three years younger than him. I have no concerns that Khalil Herbert is really much of a factor. I think Damian Williams, a three-down back, is as good of a play as James Robinson, Leonard Fournette, uh, Najee Harris, I think probably relatively popular. I think, you know, Damian Williams is, is in that range of his projection. And it seems like from, uh, you know, multiple different sites uh, ownership, it doesn't seem like he's going to be among the chalky running backs. And when I think they're all essentially the same, like you're, you're playing James Robinson because you expect to get all the rushing work, a good receiving role uh, on an offense that's not dreadful, right? They're not great, but they're, they're good enough to support a running back. Those are all the things we say about Damian Williams. I'm perfectly fine pivoting down to Williams. Even like Josh Jacobs, he saw like the surprisingly his, I'm going to say his backups, you know, Peyton Barber and Kenyon Drake, they were completely phased out the last time we saw Josh Jacobs, which I thought was a little strange, but I mean, he's, he's a really talented runner. He was a good pass catcher in college. They've refused to use him in that role. But again, I think it's a lot of guys who could certainly go out, get 16 carries and three targets, four targets, and only three of them are going to be popular. So I'll just play the ones that aren't popular. I didn't, I didn't think about Josh Jacobs, but yeah, what happened was that Kenyon Drake was odd just because he got one, he was healthy throughout the game and got one touch in a game and played season low in snaps yeah. in a game that Josh Jacobs was in and out of the lineup for injuries. At least we know Peyton Barber was injured on the first touch and questionable return could not return, but Drake not playing at all. That was very odd, especially since any Josh Jacobs touches a win for the defense, essentially. <laughs> um, but Damian Williams, I think what the good thing is, though, you don't need to worry about leveraging off of him just because his ownership probably will surprisingly come in like the middle range. Yeah. I, I will say that I don't think I'd play Darnell Mooney, famous last words, just because <laughs> like Allen Robinson is a, a player to bet on knowing that our preseason priors, and they're correct, are that Allen Robinson is going to out-target Darnell Mooney. Like, if you think Darnell Mooney out-targets Allen Robinson on the entire year, then maybe you stick to your priors and play Darnell Mooney. But, like, the talent that is Allen Robinson, that's not the bet to make, honestly, for Mooney. So uh, that's why I, I've I've had Robinson in the lineup. He's an iffy player. I keep coming back to it. I don't know if I'm going to play just yet, but I think there is a reason to play him if you choose to. Yeah, I mean, if you think Darnell Mooney is going to continue out producing Al Robinson, I am uh, K Dvorak one, I believe, on DraftKings. You can send me head to heads anytime because we know, like you said, we know the talent that is Allen Robinson, and on top of that, we know his like his uncanny ability to produce with what uh, has been throughout his career terrible quarterback play. Justin Fields, not a world beater, he's probably still better than nearly every quarterback that uh, that we've seen Allen Robinson play with. So yeah, I I think that's a great uh, like 
just play good players when people are not in on them. We know we have such a strong history of Allen Robinson being one of the best receivers. Play good players when people aren't on them is probably like enough to be a long-term break-even player. And Allen Robinson obviously fits that mold. I will say the good thing for James Conner is that he plays in the afternoon. So like you don't have to make that decision. You can at least have him there for late swap if you need him. And maybe honestly, like if the Schefter news overnight is like Chase Edmonds still game time decision, that's what Kingsbury said, game time decision, then you take James Conner down to the wire anyways, knowing everyone is not going to know how to play him. And so like, honestly, if it comes in and we still hear that they genuinely don't know Edmonds status, that's when I feel comfortable playing James Conner and then building around him, knowing that less the field will be on him because it'll be a worrisome late swap. That's mm-hmm. how I'll play it. And because also, if Chase Edmonds doesn't play, you don't have to play James Conner if you placeholder him in your flex. I think Raw No More is a pretty awesome I, tournament to play. I knew you'd Chase Edmonds having five and a half targets per game all coming underneath. You know who gets those targets? The guy who has a five A dot, Rondell Moore. And so logically, I think like, Everyone's going to connect the dots to James Conner. No one's going to connect the dots to Rondell Moore. And so, like, that's my time to shine. Maybe with Debo Samuel, maybe with Brandon Ayuk on DraftKings, Ayuk is nearly 3K cheaper than Debo Samuel, which is wild. Like, Debo Samuel's usage is elite, but when I see 3K cheaper, that tells me I need to be on Ayuk. Yeah, that's that's a really good uh, leverage box. Like, there's just, I, like, Debo is really good, right? But there is only so much this team will be able to do to give him every single target with George Kittle out. I have to believe who, Brandon Ayuk, who looked incredible last year in limited opportunities because he was banged up, all the guys are banged up on that team, that he has enough talent to win the alternatives are Debo Samuel, and that's it. They're like, Debo Samuel, and then you go down to Kyle Juszczyk and, and Trent Sherfield, like Muhammad Sanu, I think, is on this team, that he will be able to beat out those guys for targets. Maybe when George Kittle and Debo Samuel are both active, he's clearly a third pass catcher. But sans George Kittle, I do have to believe that at the near 3K discount, that uh, the IU, like the IU leverage play is very viable. And I think Debo will come in as one of the more popular plays. It makes sense. As you and said. as you said, uh, we're taking the Kittle targets out. So there yeah. are numerous more routes and targets to go around, which makes the receivers better options. Also, look on DraftKings, you want to get a little sneaky? Ross Dwelly has only ran 16 routes all year, but he was a viable top 12 tight end whenever Kittle had missed the yeah. past two years. Like on a week where we can get a little crazy at tight end, why the hell not Ross Dwelly? I'm there for it. Now, remember, it comes down to structure on FanDuel. So Dwelly on FanDuel, you can do it, but it's pretty thin because like a cheap tight end there is 5,300 compared to like Waller, who's like 7,500. It's just totally different pricing there. So you're only gaining 2K in leverage to use elsewhere. Whereas on DraftKings, the difference is literally 2,700 to 7,500. So it's totally different builds. That's a really good point. I didn't think about Ross Valley, but we're going to have a very, very chocolate. We're going to have at least moderate uh, rostership on like Ricky Seals Jones. I imagine Anthony Ferkser maybe still has some lingering popularity. Uh, Evan Ingram, oh man, Evan Ingram's really cheap on DraftKings. Uh, but like uh, maybe I'll tell you, you could argue Ingram has shown a, a pretty plus ability to draw targets. But in terms of like your, your Cameron Brates, right? Cameron Bray, Anthony Ferkser, Ricky Seals Jones. All of these guys, you know, Max Williams, you could probably lump into this territory. All of these guys are just speculative plays who are like, oh, this guy's going to be on the field, I assume, a lot. Ross Welly, like, I-, I literally have not heard anyone mention his name yet. Maybe it's because Kittle got ruled out later in the week, or he's, what, he's doubtful, I guess, technically. Um, maybe it's because of that, but, like, he will be point something percent uh, rostered, whereas Ricky Seals-Jones is going to be, like, seven or something. You know, uh, right. Dalton Schultz is going to be super popular. Evan Ingram is going to be super popular. Most of these guys are, the argument for them is they're on the field a lot. That could equate to targets. You can make that argument for Ross Dwelly. Um, imagine playing Evan Ingram over Ross Dwelly. You just got to hate yourself. That's no no way to live life. Finally, some sneaky stacks on your side for everyone. Yeah, so I actually think, um, I don't know, I guess how sneaky it is, but I think it'll be one of the uh, better leverage spots of the slate. I think uh, going up to Tom Brady plus a Mike Evans, because I... I feel like every single week, Mike Evans is the guy no one wants to play on this team, which I, I literally cannot understand. Every single week, we see, uh, you know, an Antonio Brown, a Rob Gronkowski, Chris Godwin come in more popular than Mike Evans. I think Brady will be relatively popular, but if you can use him as leverage off of Fournette, play an Evans, a Brait, you know, that type of double stack, I think adding Evans to any Tom Brady stack is going to be pretty dang contrary. It's, it's not... That's that's the point. It's not only contrarian, it could finish as the top stack of the week. I haven't got on to Brady just yet, but there's there's absolutely reason to. Again, the Bucks have had the second highest pass play rate with a lead this year. And so like knowing the field for whatever reason is high on Leonard Fournette, even though Gio Bernard is likely going to play. Inexplicable. 
is likely going to play this week. Like Leonard Fournette to me has been one of the easiest chalk fades of all time. Let's go. And I was actually shocked to see the numbers whenever it was like, so was I, that's so wild. Um, but yeah, but knowing Brady, they're going to throw anyways. And it's no longer like this is narrative. I understand, but it's no longer the weight and the emotions that came and returning to Foxborough. He's just going to bounce back and be same old Brady against a poor Dolphins offense. And no matter what the game script is, they're just going to throw the ball. They can be up 30, nothing. They're going to throw the ball. They're never going to run it. So I do like double stacking, knowing those are top plays of the week anyways, but no one's going to have them between Antonio Brown, Mike Evans, and Tom Brady. Yeah, and especially with Evans, uh, like uh, so far I've looked, he seems to be less popular than Godwin, maybe even Brown. Uh, but he leads the team in target share, air yard share. Uh, I believe red zone targets and then end zone targets, he's tied. Actually, it's the other way around. Red zone targets, he is tied, and then he leads the team with like six end zone Chris targets. Chris Godwin's uh, target share has decreased in three consecutive games. Like it's yeah. gone from 1,300% all the way down to 11%. But you would have met, like, do you think uh, Chris Godwin and maybe Antonio Brown be more popular than Evans? Because I, so far, what I've looked at has Godwin more popular. And I've just, I never, I think Godwin's still going to be more popular. Um, I, I think, think he will. I think Antonio Brown is my favorite play among all of them. I, I like Antonio Brown's a standalone play. I like sure. him a lot. Yeah. I just think Buck stacks in general, like you said, they're a team that, uh, you know, there are certain teams that when I think they will end up having a pretty big lead, I, I'm like, yeah, I'm still probably playing them because there's a one way to get a big lead and you score a lot, but you do have the downside of the quarterback, mostly just taking the back seat to the, to the running back. This is the opposite of that team. There's never been a more opposite team, as you astutely pointed out. And I just doubling down what you're saying. Why, like, why are you playing Leonard Fournette? You, when you said fades earlier, Leonard Fournette. I, I can't imagine a, a you know a Bucks running back failing. Maybe making an egregious mistake when there are ample other running backs on the team that can do the same job just as well. Uh, and getting benched, it doesn't sound like something that happened to the Bucks. It only happens every other week. The last week was definitely the time to play him. Not when. Yeah. After the game, he has 80% of snaps and run run a raid, run around on a season high rate of Brady's dropbacks. Like that's not the time. For me, I've already talked about Burrow double stacks with Aaron Jones or Robert Tanyan coming back. I like that a lot. Where are you at? I can't decide if and how to play Vikings lines because it's an awesome spot. And if Dalvin Cook is ruled out, Alexander Madison is an awesome play. Like uh he could, he could match Derrick Henry at 4K yes. less. He could just have the same exact numbers. Already blew up against Seattle. It's arguably an even easier spot against the Lions. Having said that, like, if he comes in, he's high rostered on Sunday morning because he's a player. Like, you kind of want to – that's kind of why I want to have Hubbard as a placeholder because Madison is essentially the same salary. He's yes. not going to drop down or move up very easily if Cook is ruled out by a Schefter bomb Saturday night. But you could also play – you could make your argument for Kirk Cousins – and Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen in an amazing spot after they pretty much only failed because, you know, the Browns defense the past two weeks has clicked. That new personnel has finally got together a league high 76% pressure rate on dropbacks, just insane. And then a leading the league in overall pressures and quarterback sacks in that time as well, 14 sacks total. So like, I think that's just the case. Whereas before Kirk Cousins, the first three games was incredible. I've played him. This is just an indictment of how crazy I am, but I've played him two or four weeks now because he's just had awesome spots. And so, like, I think you can get away with playing Cousins and Jefferson. I just don't know necessarily how I'm going to attack it. So that's why I'm curious on your thoughts. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, if Dalvin Cook is ruled out, we saw, so this, I was really curious because I was like, I remember uh, playing Alexander Madison the week he was the obvious play. And uh, they beat the Seahawks. It was a pretty clean win, even though they were actually, I think, slight underdogs, like two-point underdogs that week. But uh, so, as you said, I think this is an even better spot because they are favored this week. Of course, this would be the time they would lose. But regardless, I looked at his ownership in the milli, and it was sub-15%. It was 14.8. And we got the Schefter bomb overnight. Everyone had all morning to process this information. And I would say they completely misprocessed it or more than likely they didn't actually process it. They just weren't aware. They had built their lineups Saturday night while out having fun at a bar or something. And they didn't wake up and adjust because Alexander Madison was just such an obvious play. And of course it panned. And even, I don't think he scored. He still just had 26 carries, eight targets, caught six of them, got over the hundred yard bonus. And at around six K, it was a fine play. He was in the winning Millie lineup, but he wasn't a must play. But if he gets in the end zone or if he takes, especially if he takes like one of his catches for long, like he is an absolute smash. And his price, I believe, is down this week. It's like 5,500. I don't know how DraftKings, at least on DraftKings it is. I don't know how DraftKings, who has started pricing up the backups pretty consistently now, kind of whiffed on that one, knowing that if Dalvin Cook is out, Alexander Madison is just an absolute smash. They have one of the highest implied team totals on the slate. They play a terrible defense. And I saw, I looked at this last year. It's only one slate, so it's not like a 
big deal. But last year it was a big Jamal Williams game. Aaron Jones is out and they didn't like they weren't using uh, maybe it's two years ago at this point. But all the top players just went massively over. Jamal Williams just was the the free square of all free squares. And the top players all in their 150 builds were over to extremely over. They were slightly over. Some of them were massive on him. But when the value is that good and you think the field isn't going to correctly uh, account for that, I'm okay eating the chalk. Even if we get Alexander Madison 20 some percent, uh, you know, rostered, I think I would probably find my break even point closer to 30%. I like him a lot. I think I'm actually going to build with him already yeah. in my lineup on Saturday night, knowing I can get to Hubbard if I need to. Uh, no big deal because I, I like both, but I prefer Madison. So let's go ahead and just end this now with loose notes, just to clean up the slate. Trey Lance, let's talk about him. Because knowing he's cheap on both sites, knowing he's going to be the cash game play, like Justin Field was, his rookie start, even though it was a terrible spot for Justin Fields, uh, I would argue it's not the same spot at all. This is not the Browns defense. I don't even know if the Cardinals defense is good. They could be. I don't trust them just yet, though. And I also trust a full week with Garoppolo DNP throughout the week to get a playbook ready for Lance more so than him getting thrown off the bench, despite what the film experts all week told me about Trey Lance looking bad off the bench. So how are you handling Trey Lance in tournaments? Because I will tell you, although I like him in cash games, I like him in redraft, thinking I'll have to look tomorrow night to make sure. Thinking, though, everyone's going to catch up and see what he allows them to do with his cheap salary and the rest of their lineups. Yep. I think I'm fading him, and I kind of want to fade this game altogether because like this total has decreased four and a half points throughout the entire week. It's plummeting down. And so like, I'm just worried that it's one that's quietly going to end as a divisional game, like 35 combined points. And that's crazy saying it with Kyler Murray and Trey Lance, but I genuinely am worried about the scoring in this one. Yep, I think you you kind of summed it up well. I would only add that I don't know if the Cardinals defense is good or not. Uh, what they got like, like four or five sacks from one individual player in week one are still only top 10 in sacks generated. So obviously have, have come back down to earth after that. However, it was the it's the exact same scenarios we saw in Justin Fields' first start. The coaching is maybe a little better in this scenario, but I mean that by there is a high level of uncertainty. We don't know what we're going to see from Trey Lance. I think Trey Lance is probably a very good player. I think he's a dynamic athlete, but when you have especially these mobile quarterbacks who just tend to take more sacks, it's been a, it's been true across different mobile quarterbacks throughout the past few years, is they just tend to use their mobility and sometimes work their way into sacks. And a team that is a defense, at least they're facing, that is top 10 in sacks generated. And we think Trey Lance, because exactly as you said, people want Devontae. They probably want Darren Waller because all the rest of the tight ends are, are mediocre scrubs or whatever. They definitely want Derrick Henry. It is going to be obvious that to them, to the field, paying down at quarterback on a slate that doesn't have your Mahomes, doesn't have your Lamar Jacksons, paying really down for someone like Lance allows them to do what they want to do. On the other hand, if Lance goes out and plays like Justin Fields in his first game, takes eight sacks, you're going to want the Cardinals defense instead, and you won't be able to survive the floor game from Lance. I don't want this to be Lance slander. I want it to be tournament leverage, and I think I think you could pretty obviously find tournament leverage in fading the unknown quantity that is trade Lance. Totally agree. Again, naked cash games, that's fine because you don't need to worry about stacking in cash games. You're just taking that rushing upside and what it allows the rest of your lineup to accomplish. So yeah, totally fine with that. But tournaments, I think everyone's going to get in on him and thus that will be off of him and hope he succeeds because I really want him to in the NFL. Yeah. The most rostered game, let's talk about it. It's going to be Giants-Cowboys. So how are you approaching it? Because right now I can get behind Saquon Barkley and CeeDee Lamb skinny stacks. That's as far as I've gotten though. Yeah, I, I think the uh, the difficult part for this game for the Cowboys is that we've seen them win three consecutive games, and in three consecutive games, they have had a below average pass rate over expectation, but they've been under expectation, obviously, if they're below average. Does that hold? I don't know. I talked about it earlier. Their defense isn't very good. They've had some good turnover luck lately. I think the Giants can move the ball against them, and that is what you need from the Giants because if the, the game gets out of hand in favor of the Cowboys, they will simply establish. I think we saw like 20 carries for Zeke last week and 10 for Pollard. I think it's something mm -hmm. crazy. So you need the game to be close, which is why I'd be more than comfortable. Like you have to at least use a run back. But because to me, this game, it projects quite well at like a median level. And I have already committed to the bit of fading the most like athletic running back in the past 20 years, because I've already done that. I'm definitely not playing Leonard Fournette, who somehow looks to be popular. I don't even feel like I have to play, you know, James Robinson. I'm basically not playing any of the top running backs. I have to, you know, I have to, I should be eating some chalk somewhere, right? If you were just playing every single low owned play, you've probably given up so many projected points that you're drawing dead to really win, right? You're, you've over galaxy brained it. Having already committed to finding my leverage through fading the running backs, I think it's, it's uh, a spot that I'm willing to go to. 
I would say probably not with Dalton Schultz. I Dalton Schultz is out targeted. I think the best tandem or maybe one of the three best tandems of receivers over the past two weeks. Mm-hmm. Dude, it's the Sam Darnold thing, right? Sam Darnold is not scoring a rushing touchdown every game. He's certainly not scoring two. If those go to the running the running backs, in this case, Chuba Hubbard, that's how you find that, you know, a, a big game from Chuba. Dude, Dalton Schultz just isn't out targeting Amari Cooper and CeeDee Lamb for a third consecutive week. Could he totally? Sure. But do I think we should project that to happen? No. I think he is much more likely to be his team's third slash fourth target. So I'm fine, you know, getting a little chalky, stacking up this game, and not playing any of the good running back plays. I also like uh, Kadarius Tony on DraftKings. Yeah. He's not going to crap for you on FanDuel, but on DraftKings where we can get those high targets, I think he's a good spot as well, knowing Sterling Shepard and Darius Slayton already got ruled out today. So, yeah, I don't mind Tony for cheap. Uh, Zeke, I think, is pretty much the leverage play you want. Yep. But even knowing that Dak Prescott hasn't had more than 27 pass attempts in three consecutive games, I think the way they attack this team would be through the air. That's why I have more confidence in CeeDee Lamb as well. I'm looking at CeeDee Lamb on FanDuel, knowing like his salary has decreased significantly, even though he has the same amount of targets as Dalton Schultz since week two. It's just that Dalton Schultz is scoring touchdowns, whereas CeeDee Lamb is not. If I'm expecting more passing volume, that's kind of where I want to go there, given the price. Rank these three receivers for me. Mike Williams, DJ Moore, and Justin Jefferson in tournaments, because all are awesome plays. I will tell you, I think ownership would be from lowest to highest, Mike Williams, DJ Moore, and Justin Jefferson, which makes me question, knowing McCaffrey's out again, like, are people going to go back to DJ Moore, or will he be forgotten in the mix, even though he is yet again an amazing play? I don't think so. I think DJ Moore, you know, sans Christian McCaffrey being just such an obvious, like alpha number one, he's not just like the, you know, the pumped up slot receivers, like a true number one. Uh, and you showed that last week and the week before that, even I believe, uh, and the week before that as well, I think he's got three games with uh, double digit targets stacked up in a row. I think he'd be one of the more popular players on the slate. I'm not sure if he cracks top five, but six, seven, eight, you know, there's not a huge difference between that. Mike Williams for sure would be the lowest. And as much as I think like, Maybe we have over-adjusted our priors. We saw last week Mike Williams sort of return to that boundary role. Maybe that's still more of what he is. Super, you know, he'll be such relative, uh, relatively low ownership compared to like a Moore or, you know, a, a Debo Samuel, someone like that, that there is some tournament interest. I would still say maybe I'm middling it with DJ Moore because I think he's probably uh, like a borderline cash game play who I think comes in still as not the most popular receiver on the slate. Any other notes you would like to get off your chest before we get out of here? Uh, any interest in like Jalen Hurts in that game? I mean, it's not like a terrible total. We've seen the offense for Philly completely comfortable abandoning the run, which you should if you have Jalen Hurts as your quarterback and you cannot stop giving up points. And I think people have this conception that like, oh, I don't know who I should be targeting. But Devonta Smith is clearly leading the team in target share, clearly leading the team in air yard share. Just playing with Devonta Smith, the guy who gets all the targets was like, what, the first Heisman in like two or three decades, mm-hmm. uh, you know, 1,800 yards. I was like 20-some touchdowns. He's just such an incredible prospect. The only concern was that at his small size, you know, a little bit of a late breakout, but mostly that at his small size, would he be able to command the targets that a wide receiver one does? Well, his team leading target share tells us that, yes, he's just a good player. He's getting the volume. His team is passing a lot. They're top 10 in pass rate. I think Hurts in this spot. Uh, I have some interest in him. Any interest from your uh, your end? He has been a QB1 in all seven full starts going back to last year. So it seems crazy to say he's not going to be my player pool, but I don't think he's going to be my player pool. I just don't think he fits what I'm trying to do this week, which seems odd, I know, but I don't think I'm going to have him. I mean, your player pool has like five quarterbacks, right? I, I don't know how many lines you're playing, but it can't be that many. I usually so. dwindle it down. This week, dude, this week, I think I only have, I think I just have three. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you're not playing a ton of lineups, uh, I certainly wouldn't I, say that he has to make the cut. I think I'm just on, I like Burrow or Trevor Lawrence this week, and I can't figure out which one. Just because I already see the way everyone's going with their lineups. Kirk Cousins is also interesting. So maybe I have three right now. That's where I'm at right now. Yeah, no, if you only have three, if you're only playing three but lineups. That's not no to say Hurts is not a bad play. Uh, I just think, like, if you told me Eagles or use that leverage with Hubbard and Panthers defense, that's what I would choose. Sure. Because also, like, I think everyone gets, just like we talked about last week, how, you know, everyone just thinks about Derrick Henry in a one-for-one replacement type of setting. Whenever Derrick Henry, we should be talking about his salary as yeah. leverage elsewhere. And so, like, when I talk about, leverage options 
I also, like last week, knew I was fighting the field against Derrick Henry with the Jets defense. So like, it's just, you have to also think like that, know where the field is going to go and then always make sure it's like, okay, I have that guy combated. I have that guy combated. Okay, we're ready to go to war now. And then also, you know, don't have too many white claws and get ready to late swap if need be. That's really all you need to do. Just get all your ducks in a row. And so I think I'd rather use, you told me to pick one, Eileen Hubbard and Panthers defense to combat Jalen Hurts. That's how I would treat it. Yeah, it's perfectly fine. Uh, you know, especially if you're playing like three three lineups. I don't think if I was playing three lineups, Jalen Hurts would make my player pool either. Yeah, with that, I think that's it for the week. As you could tell, still trying to get all our lineups together, but I, I hope we gave everyone at least the, the right track to go. There's a lot of news, but again, take Saturday night, whenever the kids go to bed and just figure it out. That way you always have a plan. And then you always have a late swap plan because once you have those in place, I assure you life becomes much easier on Sunday morning. That way you're not freaking out knowing you already have everything in store. Um, so with that, pretty sure that's it. He's at Kyle tweets here. Kyle, do you have anything else up this week that people can check out? Uh, tomorrow we'll drop the uh, value finder. I guess if you're listening to this, not live, the value finder has been dropped as well as the uh, Sunday prop shop. And uh, try out a new format for the value finder, just bullet points with stats that I think are relevant. We don't need, it's the values this late. We don't need to really belabor the point. Chubba Hubbard, you know, saw a lot of carries last week. Uh, DJ Moore, he gets targeted a lot. Just trying to give you the, the basics of these are the general 40. They, they'd be in the top 40 or so cash players. At Najee Daigle here, as always, a good football show. If you're listening to this via iTunes, you're already subscribed. Thank you. So until then, until next week, Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern, good luck, everyone. We'll be back Sunday morning, noon Eastern for Start Sit Show. We will see all of you then. Good luck.